Good morning. Welcome to First DC Church. Glad to have everyone with us. If you're visiting, I ask you to look in the pew in front of you. There's a little visitor card. Fill that out for us if you don't mind, and just to let me know how I can get in touch with you. Um, we gather today with mixed emotions, of course. We're here, um, we are here to rejoice because it's the day that the Lord has made. But of course, we know that a, a good friend of ours has passed away. Um, Arvel Deppen passed on Friday, and so we, we are here with, with heavy hearts, but we are here to rejoice that he is with, with the Lord as well. Um, his passing um, has made us make a few changes in our schedule and so forth. We will be having his service on Wednesday evening. Um, there will be a service at the, at the Gap at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, that'll just be the the service that they, they, you know, they have a very specific amount of time. You get in, you have the service, and you get out. But then we will have an opportunity to gather as, as a group, as a family, um, Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock for a memorial service here. 5 o'clock will be visitation from 5 to 6, visitation with the family. Um, 6 o'clock will be the service. And then whenever we're finished, we're going to gather for a reception over in the, over in the annex um, because we're having the service, then prayer meeting will be canceled for this Wednesday. Um, we're still going to have the coffee shop theology Wednesday morning, but I'm told if, you've, if you're reading your book, read one more chapter. We're gonna, they're going to do the, the next chapter because this week's chapter was going to be led by Sharon. Sharon's ready to go with that chapter, but she won't be there Wednesday morning. Um, so if... Anybody who's in the class knows exactly what I mean. The rest of you are saying, I have no idea what he's talking about. But just, yeah, just, just bear with me. Um, so let's see. That takes care of those. Oh, the missionary committee meeting, that also got um, changed. It was scheduled for this Tuesday evening. It has been now rescheduled for next Monday evening, the 17th. Uh, that'll still be at 7 o'clock. So the missionary committee meeting rescheduled Monday, October 17th, 7 o'clock. And I guess that's, those are the changes that we have. I guess that's it for changes. I did have one other announcement that I wanted to take the time to be specific with. Um, I've been asked about trunk or treat and whether we were going to do trunk or treat. I understand it's something that you've done in the past. Um, And so... I wanted to uh, share with you, first of all, that I don't like Halloween at all. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll start off with that. I do not support Halloween. I do not condone Halloween. It was a Celtic festival. It's all about witchcraft and darkness and evil. There's nothing good about Halloween. But um, I do support, do condone the trunk or treat, as long as when we decorate the cars, we do it in a positive way, something like I, I am supportive of an event where we can pierce light into the darkness. So as long as we're doing that, and, and um, Brenda had put together a slideshow. Do we, do we have that? Go ahead and start that. Um, to let you know that it's going to be Thursday, the 27th, here in the parking lot. Um, the idea is giving, giving candy to the kids, but also giving them a message. And, and whether it's a message um, audibly or just the fact that, that we're there. Um, and, and so these were, some, these were some very positive very positive messages about Jesus, about God, whatever, um, and about just, just, like I said, something that can bring light, 
light into the darkness. Um, I'm trying to determine, I'm trying to decide whether to take a break next week from 1 John and give you my sermon on Satan's masquerade so that you just know exactly where I stand with, with Halloween and yoga and Tai Chi and all the other things. Um, but as I said, I do support an event where we will be out bringing light to the darkness. And this, uh, this, this, is a very, this, this can be a very evangelistic tool. I'm very supportive of it. Um, and we wanted to show you how easy it can be. I mean, it, it might look a little complicated, but it's not. Just, just come up with a theme. Think of something that you want to share with the kids as they come by and they, and they pick up their candy. You're sharing a message with them, uh, a message as, as simple as you want it to be. And just, just let them know that God loves them and that we love them. And, you know, Jesus, Jesus is good and God is light and whatever, whatever you want to let them know. Okay? So... I think it's looping, right? You can just, yeah, you can just stop the loop. Okay, so are there any other, I, I feel like I'm a little frazzled this morning. Any other messages that I forgot to share? Anything else? Good morning. <laughs> no, not a problem at all. Good morning. <laughs> Good to see you. Anything else that we need to know as far as changing schedules and rearranging things? Okay. Well, then let's just take a moment let's um let's remember why we're here and let's go go to the lord and ask him to bless this service heavenly father we thank you for this beautiful morning as we said we come with we come with uh mixed emotions but father our focus is on you our focus is on how even though we miss arville we know he's walking with you right now and that he sees you face to face and that is a reason for us to be joyous Father, we come to your house this morning so that we can praise you, tell you just how much we love you, and be reminded of just how much you love us. And so, Father, I pray that everything we sing, say, and do here this morning would be to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 134. It's a song of ascent. It's a it's a psalm that they would have been saying, singing, chanting, whatever, on their way up to Jerusalem. That's what the ascent part means, because Jerusalem was up on a hill, and they had to, had to climb the hill to get up there. And they say, Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. I'm going to change that to, who minister by day and night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. And so I invite you to stand if you're able and let's sing along with our first praise song. We have come into his house.
one. You want to sing a little bit louder and maybe a little bit faster. All hail King Jesus. Lift up prayer requests. I'm going to ask us to do it a little bit differently this morning. You have just as much connection to God as I do. And so there's really no reason for you to tell me and then me pray for you. And you can just present that prayer request. And by doing that, you are praying to God. Um, And so I will still pray a bit, but um, I won't go back over the whole list. But We'll still have you lift up your prayer requests, but, um, but I want you to realize that you're, you're lifting that request to God, not, not to me this morning, okay? Uh, we, of course, want to start off, first of all, uh, praying for the, for the Deppin family, all the extended family of, of Arville Deppin. Um, also, we, I got a call from Marlene Groff on Friday that she... Um, she has scheduled uh, her next MRI not until October 24th, and um, they, have to, they have to arrange a few people together. She doesn't have a monitor for her pacemaker, so they have to get somebody in there to do that on exactly that same date and so forth. So it's been kind of difficult to, to arrange, and of course she has some, some anxiety, some, some concerns about not knowing. She has that mass on the base of her neck and um, they don't know anything about it yet, and so, of course, that's creating some anxiety, and so, um, so I, lift up, um, I lift up the Deppin family, and I lift up Marlene 
um, Marlene Groff as well. What prayer requests do you have? Yes, we have one. I want to pray for Connie Dunn. She fell and is in the Hershey Medical Center recovering. I'm sure she'll have a long rehab as when we get older, our bones don't heal as quickly. Lord knows that. And I pray for his healing touch for her. And I pray that Mike, her son, will feel calm and at peace about this because I know how much he loves his mother. Uh, He lives with her and cares for her. And I pray that she'll get the care she needs uh, as she mends. Thank you. Yeah, when I visited with her the other day, she said he, he comes in after work, he spends the night with her, and then goes to work the next morning from, from the hospital. So very, very dedicated. Any other prayer requests? Yep. Um, from Zoom, uh, Jim, Jim Rothline would like to th- praise the Lord that he finished his first week at his new job. So he started and, and things are going well there. Wonderful. And also another update from Marlene Groff, that Lois Groff, her sister-in-law, was transferred to Hershey Medical Center. So she asked for prayers for her as well. Wow. Okay. It's not the place to have a family reunion, but um, we'll pray that they're both, both getting the care that they need. Any other requests? I pray that Emma gets to see a GI doctor very soon. She's been having pain now for about a month, and we think it's her gallbladder, but she has no stones. But I found out that if your gallbladder isn't working the whole way, it can cause a lot of pain. And Cindy's just been going around the circles trying to get a GI doctor to see her. Um, I just want to put my brother Jerry White in uh, prayer. He's going to have shoulder replacement tomorrow. So I'm going to take him in there and... uh, He's going to get that done at Good Sam. So, but eh, his spirits are good. But you know, it just you know. But I told him we put him on the prayer list, and he said he appreciate it. Okay. Okay. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. Father, we lift up these requests, these names, these concerns on our hearts. We, we ask for comfort where it's appropriate. We ask for peace from anxiety. We ask for healing. And Father, not just the ones that were spoken, but all those that are on people's hearts and in their minds and, and were unspoken as well. Father, we know that you are the great physician. We know that you can heal these if it would be your will. We know that you can provide and provide peace, take away anxiety if we lean on you. And so, Father, I pray that in all these situations, um, these families, these individuals will 
will just grow closer to you. They'll just grab your, grab your hand and let you walk them through whatever it is that they're, that they're dealing with at the moment. Father, we also thank you for providing for us each week. We thank you for your daily bread. And Father, we have collected an offering and we ask you to, to bless that offering. We thank you for the way that you do provide us all week. And so this is our, our way of saying thank you. It's our, our way of worshiping. And so we ask you to take this offering and to, to bless it and to use it to further your kingdom and your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and continue praising our God by singing with us uh, hymn number 53. Before I begin, I had one other announcement. If it isn't done already, after the service, we'd like to take down all the partitions. It's already done. Okay, great. Thank you. We've been, uh, we've been going through 
the book of 1 John, John's letter to his church, and we um, have been hearing about how he's been dealing with some, some issues there. We're going to continue that this morning. And in most of John's letter so far, we've seen that he has two, two agendas, really. Um, first of all, he's trying, or he's, uh, he wants to expose the people who are distorting the truth through either their false teaching and or their false living. And last week we heard him refer to those people as antichrists, if you remember. Um, this week he's actually going to claim that they're of the devil. Um, so some very, strong, some very strong words, some very strong feelings. And his second agenda has been to provide assurance to those people who are staying the course in faithfulness to his teachings about Christ. And we're going to see some more of that reassurance in today's message. Today we're starting in chapter 2 at the very end, the last two verses of chapter 2, and then we're going to work into chapter 3. So 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28, John writes, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So again, John starts with that that loving phrase, dear children, and he's building on a thought that he ended with last week um, at the very, the very last verse that we, that we read, verse 27, it ends by saying, remain in him. Those are the last three words that he gave us last week, remain in him. He's saying, stay, stay the course, stay faithful. And he's building on that encouragement now by taking the thought in another direction. He decides to use the hope of Christ's return as a fresh new motivation for faithfulness. And if you notice in this, uh, in this verse, he uses two different phrases to describe Christ's return. He, he talks about uh, when he appears, that's one phrase, and then he says, at his coming. The first phrase, when he appears, uses a Greek word that literally means to make visible, to make clear. And so John's saying that the return of Christ will be a time when our Lord will be unveiled and he'll be made clearly visible before the entire world. The second phrase he uses at the end of the verse is, at his coming. The Greek word used here is parousia. You may have heard that word referenced um, to Jesus' second coming, parousia. It means a presence or a coming. It was a term that was used to reference the arrival of a king or the arrival of a dignitary, some, some royal visit. And I want you to keep that in mind, and I'm not going to go off on, on a tangent here, but this is what, what would happen with this parousia when that type of an event would happen. That's when, uh, if a king was coming to your city, they would announce their arrival with a trumpet as they're far off. The trumpet would sound, the people would recognize it's the king, and so they would go out to meet him, wondering if this sounds a little familiar to you, as Jesus' second coming. They would go out to meet him, and then they would, with celebration, would escort that king into the city. You never hear about a king announcing his arrival. People go out to meet him, and then he takes them off into the woods or off to another town somewhere. The whole idea was that they would return to the city. 
This is why I, I don't agree with the idea that we will meet him in the air and then disappear. Um, I believe what they're describing is this exact same type of thing. And it, and it happened, too, on Palm Sunday. Think about how Jesus, there wasn't the trumpet, but there was an announcement that the king was coming, and everybody ran out to meet him. And with celebration, they escorted him back into town. That's a parousia. When the king arrives or a dignitary arrives, it's a royal visit. And I'm making a, a point about this. I, I want you to understand, too, I think there's some wordplay here that we just don't get in the in the English translation. So just remember the, the coming, at his coming, the word is parousia. And as I said, these visits or these comings, they, they always generate a lot of interest and they would always be accompanied by great celebration. And so John's reassuring his followers that Christ is going to arrive and his appearing is going to be of great interest to everyone, but it's going to create or produce two different kinds of reactions. Some people are going to respond with confidence. Now, the Greek word for confidence is parousia, parousia. And so he's saying that there will, there will be, when he appears, we may be parousia before him at his parousia. It's just kind of the stuff they, they'd like to do to help them remember, you know, remember the verse. To us, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. But when you hear the Greek and how it sounds the same, and it's just an easier way for them to remember But he says some people are going to respond with confidence, but others are going to experience shame. And the Greek word for ashamed, it literally means to shrink from. The second group is going to shrink from him. They will be ashamed. While the first group, those who continue in him, will enjoy confidence and assurance. And then he provides some more encouragement in verse 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. We know that God is righteous. So when you reflect God's righteous character by doing what is right, you show that you are born of him. It's just like when a child reflects the characteristics of his or her parents, we often say, well, they're a chip off the old block. So in reference to God, Someone should be able to look at you and say, you're a chip off the old block. Truly knowing God, abiding in God, remaining in God and his righteous character, well, those things just naturally lead to the imitation of his character. And then John takes this idea of being born in Christ and recognizes how it demonstrates just how much God loves us. We're in chapter 3 now, verse 1. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now the NIV doesn't quite give us the, the, the proper sense of amazement and astonishment that John's conveying here. Other translations will, will say, See what manner of love the Father has lavished on on us. And even that isn't quite enough. The phrase what manner here, what they have translated, is a word that literally translates as from what country. And think about us. When when something is, is just completely unexpected, we might say, where in the world did that come from? Or what in the world is that all about? That's the same thing they're saying here. 
John's saying, see what completely foreign, totally unexpected, what in the world kind of love the Father has lavished on us. And what makes it so unexpected, so foreign, and so what in the world? Well, John says it's because we can be called children of God. And that sounds a little unbelievable. I mean, it made sense that Jesus was called the Son of God because we know how that whole process worked. But our mothers didn't have any special dealings with the Holy Spirit that resulted in our conception, did they? But John leaves no doubt. He says, and this is what we are, with an exclamation mark. He's saying, there is no doubt about it. And it's all because of the Father's unbelievable love. Now you'll hear some people say that we're all children of God. And that's not quite true. We're all a creation of God. He loves everyone. He loves all of us. But it takes something special to become and get the label children of God. That something special is explained in the book of Romans. In Romans 8, 14 through 16, we hear, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Jesus is the only human whose biological dad, in a sense, is God. Jesus is the only one who naturally can call God Father. But supernaturally, because we as Christians allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit, we're adopted into that family. And it means that we then have the privilege of calling God Abba, Father. And it's Abba is a very intimate term. It's whatever you would call your father. Dad, Daddy, Papa, whatever that was. You, you would not say Father. Would you, would you pass the salt? You know, it's Dad, pass the salt. Or Daddy, could I have the salt? That same intimate term is what Abba means. And it says we have the privilege of calling God Daddy. Now, we still want to show reverence, and we still want to remember that he's the, the creator of the universe. But he's also Daddy. We're his children. And we're not just a foster child of God, we're adopted as a child of God. Adoption is the creation of a new permanent relationship between an adoptive parent and a child. And once this happens, there is no legal difference between a child who's adopted and a child who's born into the family. That makes Christians a legal brother or sister to Christ. So do you see why John says this idea is so foreign, so totally unexpected, so what in the world? But you know what? There's even more. Verse 17 of Romans says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So as Christians, we're children of God, That makes us each an heir of God. That makes us each a joint heir with Christ. We're a full-fledged part of the family. That's amazing. That's exciting. And that's why John uses this language in his letter to talk about the the what-in-the-world kind of love the Father has lavished on us. Let's go back to his letter here now. Back to 1 John chapter 3 and now verse 2. Dear friends... Now we are children of God, 
And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so here John reflects on how this status of being God's children is going to have some consequences in the future. If you have a glimpse right now of what it means to have the Father present within us, just think how overwhelming our experience is going to be when Christ returns. He will appear, we will appear just like him, and and then we'll see him exactly as he is. In that day, there will be an immediate and unmistakable unity between us and him. And in verse 3 then, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. This is John's summary of his reasons for confidence in the Christian life. Fully knowing the Father's love, witnessing God's righteousness at work in us, experiencing the alienation in the world, and sharing a fresh confidence and joy at the prospect of Jesus' return. These things build renewed joy and assurance among Christians who are struggling. That was certainly the case for John's church. They were experiencing division that challenged his leadership, and it was poised to rip the church apart. But John's not just being a motivational speaker here. He's got his pastor hat on, too. Ultimately, his purpose for this motivation is ethical. If our confidence is built on God's promise, there will be something different about us. There will be a change in the the character of our living. Let me read it again. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. The word purify here refers to the absence of any stain. But John's not thinking of ceremonial purity or ritual purity. He's thinking of heart purity. When you've got your mind focused on the joy of meeting Jesus, you'll discover you have a renewed desire to pursue righteousness so that when he appears, our righteousness will be in sync with him. Remember, Jesus told us that blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. As we move forward through the next several verses, we see that John makes a comparison now between the children of God and who he refers to as the children of the devil. In verse 4, he writes, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. John's making a firm condemnation of sin right here. And it sounds like he probably has in mind those people who have left the church. If you remember, they had some strange claims about sinlessness. You know, they claimed that they were not sinning, that they were spirit bodies. It was the flesh that was sinning and not the spirit. So they couldn't be blamed for it. It wasn't really them that was sinning. Well, John's not only affirming that sin is everywhere, But he's also describing how it affects your inner character. He says sinners break the law. They have a character of lawlessness. And his use of that term lawlessness is used in the same way as Paul uses it in 2 Thessalonians. Paul wrote, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. And a few verses later, he says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. This use of the word lawlessness 
refers to someone who stands in direct opposition to Christ at his second coming. So John's saying that people who sin participate in lawlessness. And he's saying that's the same as rebellion. And that's a characteristic of the devil. But John adds that Jesus came to destroy all sin. The sacrifice Jesus made in our place took away our sins and the punishment that goes with them. Verse 5, we read, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Jesus himself is pure. There is no sin in him. And since that's the case, his work also includes opposition to any sinfulness. In other words, what Jesus did includes both removing the guilt of sin as well as defeating the presence of sin altogether. His work includes both justification and sanctification. And in order to clarify his point, John John goes on to say that no one who is truly in an intimate relationship with Christ keeps on sinning. Verses 6 through 8. He says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Those who are children of God keep themselves free from sin. Muhammad Ali once said that he had come up with a way to resist temptation. Wherever he went, he always carried a, a small box of matches, he said. And he said, whenever I go to a party and I'm tempted by a beautiful woman, I simply pull out one of the matches and I strike it. Then I put it out with my fingers and I remind myself, Hell is a lot hotter than this. That's his way of taking care of temptation. And in verse 9, John boldly proclaims that no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now John's not saying that a true Christian will never sin again. If you look at the grammar and the verb tenses of the Greek here, John's saying that the Christian will not continue to sin. They will not live in sin. They won't keep committing the same sin over and over again with reckless abandon. John's emphasizing the fact that ongoing habitual sin should find no place in the believer's life. He's just making a a very strong case for the holiness of the believer. Then John summarizes his thoughts in verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. He, he brings the love of brother and sister back in. It's like he re- Remember that he told us about that a little while ago, and oh, by the way, don't forget this part too. You see his style here, he, he, he does very often 
go back and repeat it again and give you something new and repeat again. But he's just trying to continue to reassure those who are following him and, and us today to, to just remain in the faith, stay the course. He repeats again and again that being born in God is a necessary feature of Christian discipleship. Being born again gives us the power to live a life that isn't plagued by sin. And it also gives us the confidence that our identity is completely found in Christ. And that when he comes again, we will be filled with self-assurance. Our moral impulse to do right, to obey God's word, to live an ethical life, that's the first byproduct of divine rebirth. Christian behavior, behavior that the world doesn't recognize, the world just doesn't understand. It's that kind of behavior that shows us something divine has happened within us, that we have been reborn. And throughout this letter and also in his gospel, John spotlights the fact that the world fails to recognize Jesus. And he emphasizes the fact that the world just can't comprehend the behavior of his followers. They're weird. What makes us so weird? What has something to do with our undivided devotion and loyalty and and obedience to Jesus? Even when that devotion goes against our own self-interest. We're not living anymore for this number one. We're living for the real number one by living to serve everyone else. That's the gist of John's message. Christian love for God and for your neighbor is a sacrificing love that's moved by supernatural power. It takes its model from what God has shown us in Jesus Christ, the sacrificial love, and then it extends that same quality of love out into the world. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, Abba, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we find in it. Thank you for the reassurance we find in it to know that we have something special, very, very special as your children. Father, I pray that you will use us to add children to your family. And I pray that all of your children here today will remain in confidence in their faith and that they will stay the course. I pray it in your son's name. Amen. I'll invite you now to stand again as we sing our final hymn. Hymn number 431.
I pray that you will let him, let him lead you this week. Take his hand, and I pray that he'll guide you and protect you and make his face shine upon you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.